What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. Hey, what's up, Restoration Church? My name is Andrew Clark. I am the family and teaching pastor at Bayview Church, uh, and I'm excited to be able to bring the message today uh, within the series of his story and my life. Um, And as I was preparing, I I got kind of uh, reading through Matthew 3 and just kind of the the strangeness that maybe comes with um, this this character named John the Baptist, who I, I think you guys have talked a little bit about. And as I started thinking about him, I, I found myself uh, looking up this fruit called d- the durian fruit, D-U-R-I-A-N fruit. Uh, and as you can see, it's kind of this creepy looking, weird, almost alien-like uh, fruit. And and it's found in East Asia. And what's wild about this fruit is uh, it's actually illegal in some countries to even transport this thing. Because they say, like, as you open it up, right, it smells like raw sewage. Uh, like, they, like, they've used words like vomit even to explain how this thing smells um, to a lot of, like, public transportation and all that. They're like, nope, keep it away. Uh, but what's wild about it is if they, they say, like, is if you can get past the smell of it, um, it actually is, like, this creamy, vanilla, like, sweet flavor to it. Uh, to the point where in some East Asian uh, countries and, and cultures, like it's almost like a delicacy. Um, they, they recommend like eating it and, and almost like celebrating with it. Uh, they do say not to drink beer with it. It can cause uh, incredible discomfort and bloating. Uh, but th- they say it's one of the um, almost like best tasting fruits uh, if you can get past the strange look and the strange smell and, and almost the weirdness of this fruit. And so as I was kind of studying this and learning about it, I I found myself looking at it because I believe this guy named John the Baptist, uh, I believe he got a lot of weird looks. Uh, I believe bro probably smelt even a little bit, uh, especially if they say he came from the wilderness. Uh, But as you begin to learn more and more about John and the the role he played, um, there was a sweetness to him, uh, especially in the scope of scripture and uh, his role when it comes to Jesus. Right, John being uh, Jesus' cousin, uh, it might have been a little strange, but he was someone who uh, who came before him. Right, he was this forerunner uh, individual, uh, and he spent a lot of time really kind of dire- trying to direct people towards the coming of the Messiah. 
Um, you know, when we first meet John, he's in his mother's womb, actually, and, and he's almost jumps for joy uh, when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, shows up. And there's this interaction, like this, this unborn child uh, is realizing who uh, he's in the presence of. Um, and so what I, I love about John is he he kind of gives us the answer to the question um, that maybe you found you're asking yourself quite a bit. Right. He gives the answer to this question of how exactly do you receive Jesus, right? Uh, do I have to have a, a certain level of morality? Um, do I have to be good enough uh, to, to a, a, a obtain a relationship with Jesus? Do I have to pray uh, a certain prayer or, or pray enough, right? How much is enough and what ends up qualifying me as a Christian, right? What, what makes me uh, an actual believer, uh, maybe even thought I would like to know God, but I'm not interested in getting in, involved in any kind of organized religion, right? I'd be satisfied with just kind of having this relationship, but religion and, and all that kind of comes with it. Like, man, keep that stuff away. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Or maybe you said I'm interested in God, but just don't understand the big deal with Jesus, right? Uh, the beauty of Matthew 3, which we're going to be reading today, and and specifically kind of this um, this moment where Jesus is baptized and, and we begin to really see how John and the story of John uh, really is showing more or less uh, the story of Jesus and how it all points towards the answer to those questions that we ask. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start right at the beginning. So Matthew, again, it's in the New Testament. It's one of the, uh, it's actually the first book of the New Testament. Uh, so, you know, table of contents, or you want to flip halfway open and kind of flip a couple of pages, you should find it. Uh, but Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who he has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt, and his waist uh, was, uh, was around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Uh, I don't know about you, but the wild honey sounds good. Uh, locusts, not so much. Uh, but these things were were uh, unique to John in this sense. Um, some of the things that are, are kind of fun about him is he's pretty anti-establishment, uh, especially kind of stepping into this Jewish culture. Um, they they might have found him to be gross or maybe off-putting, but he had a lot of really awesome things to say. And so there was this almost anticipation or excitement around him because they they weren't sure what he was going to do next, right? Uh, they they were part of um, kind of higher living, right? If I'm, I'm talking about kind of the Jewish Pharisees and, and some of these individuals, part of higher living, they would have lived in Jerusalem. They would have had degrees. They would have worn nice clothes, been fairly wealthy, right? And yet John steps into the picture and he wasn't. He's wearing a loincloth and he's eating honey and finding bugs and snacking on those things. Uh, very much like a, a, a Grizzly Adams type character, uh, if you will. Um, he kind of had the persona of an individual named Elijah. And this, this is the part that was probably pretty intriguing about him to the Jews because potentially he could have been the, the next Messiah, Right there was almost this voice crying in the wilderness. Is he an individual who is uh, maybe going to step into this space for us? 
Or is he another prophet who's going to help lead us to the next Messiah? Elijah, we find in a couple places in the Old Testament, um, they said that he would come. One like Elijah would precede him. Matthew even cites Isaiah, right? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Malachi verses four or chapter four, verse five says, God says, I will send Elijah before the coming of the Messiah, right? So there's this anticipation. Uh, there's a, almost like this moment of, man, we don't know what this guy's going to do next, but I want to know what he has to say. Man, could this even be uh, not just the Messiah, but could he be Elijah reincarnate? Could, could there be something about him that we can't just cast him aside? Um, and so he's got their attention. So when we continue on into verse 5 uh, of Matthew chapter 3, it says this, Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Uh, if you're taking notes, these first couple verses are all going to point us to this idea of repentance, right? John's, John's message is going to be very much about this idea that you, you need to repent. Repent meaning I need to ask for forgiveness of my mistakes, my sins, the times that I've missed the mark. Like I need to get right with God. Um, this, is, this is what he's about. Uh, there's not really a lot of other points within the message that John is going to be teaching other than repent, get right. Uh, you, you need to lean into what you've been taught. Uh, this idea of obedience begins to come into play. Uh, but here's, here's the deal. John isn't trying to teach something new when it comes to like a, a new thing to obey. Um, and I think for a lot of us, if we were really honest with ourselves, when it comes to the idea of asking for forgiveness, when it comes to the idea of asking for um, repentance, right? To, to come forward and say, man, I've messed up in these ways. I need to be forgiven for it. Uh, the problem is not that we don't know enough or that we don't necessarily know like what we've done wrong. It's that we're not obedient to what we do know. Right? It's not that we don't know what's going on. It's not that we don't know enough or not that we need more information. Like, how have I messed up? How have I sinned? How have I made mistakes? It, it really comes down to uh, we're just not having been obedient to this idea of asking for forgiveness. Meaning we, we do know how we've messed up. Right? We, we do know how we've uh, missed the mark. Most people listening to John didn't need to be told what to repent of. They, they already knew as well. In fact, the vast majority of those people, um, they didn't need to know in the same way that probably the vast majority of us don't actually need to be told what it is that we need to be asked, uh, we need to be asking for forgiveness of. I mean, what area in your life right now do you find yourself needing forgiveness? Right? Is there an area of your life that, that you've kind of haven't really given to the full authority to God? Is there a part of you that's that you've kind of held on to, right? right? It's, it's a habit uh, that you know it's not pleasing. It's maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's something that you you can feel. You know the tensions there. Again, I don't even got to give you the example. Like you, you can just know. Like man, I've I've been trying to deal with this. I've been holding on to this. Um, I don't need an explanation. I know it's not right, but I, I'm going to try to deal with it on my own. Right, God, God has, first of all, God's big enough. And I think that gets missed sometimes. That Again, I, I don't know the space or maybe the place that you're coming from. I, I don't really know your issue. But a lot of times, and this, this falls onto me, I, I've, I have felt this tension where 
I'll just handle it. Right? I'll just I'll just kind of go through the motions. I'll just deal with it. I'll stuff it, whatever, because maybe God's got more important things to do. Right? Maybe God's got bigger issues. Have you seen the news? Have you seen the world? God's got bigger issues at hand than my little sin issue. Um, God's big enough and he cares enough uh, that you would seek that forgiveness, that you would ask for that repentance of it. Right? This, this, this idea that we would try to hide it, man, that in and of itself is a mess. Uh, and, and you don't need to carry that anymore. Right, the message is pretty simple. You know what is wrong in your life, right? You don't need anyone to tell you that. Um, so, so seek forgiveness for that. Right? It's, it's pretty. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Obviously, easier said than done. So then, what does John kind of lead us into next? Okay, if we've we've taken this step of, um, okay, I, I, I've sought forgiveness. Um, I, I've sought repentance and I'm, I'm ready to kind of take this next step. John gives us this answer of this, uh, baptism. And now baptism wasn't uncommon to the, to the Jews in that culture. It wouldn't have been a, a new thing that John kind of brought onto the scene. Um, in fact, they were used to it in a couple different ways. Think about it like this. Uh, first, it was part of the conversion process for Gentiles to become Jews. So Gentile meaning anyone who wasn't of the Jewish culture, if they wanted to step into that religion, uh, they would become baptized. Um, and they would do a couple different things. Uh, to convert to Judaism, you needed to be circumcised. Uh, you needed to memorize some key passages of the law. And then you got baptized. And basically your baptism showed that you were dying to your sinful ways, your Gentile pagan life, and that you'd be coming back as a Jew. The second baptism was a, a ritual cleansing that you would give yourself uh, as a Jew. It was almost like a, a purification ceremony, or uh, uh, you would offer it in the same way that you would offer a sacrifice, right? So there's a lot of ritual, a lot of like um, circumstance surrounding baptism. But John's baptism was different than either of those things, right? The baptism that John was performing, uh, it wasn't aimed at the Gentiles. It was actually directed at the Jews. Uh, so this might have been the one thing that for them was maybe a little off-putting of him is, is he wasn't seeking Gentiles to baptize. He was actually coming to those who were already Jews, who maybe had already gone through multiple of these uh, cleansing ceremonies and saying, no, this is, this is actually a thing for you. Um, he looked at it in this way. It wasn't about becoming a Jew, uh, and nor was it a ritual. It was that of, again, this word, repentance. Right? Again, it was this idea of um, to be baptized, to be forgiven. Um, the religious Jews needed to be converted. Uh, it was a concept that really boiled down to this idea that he was saying, hey man, stop hiding behind your religion. Stop hiding behind this thing, this religion. Right? Don't tell yourself that I'm a Jew and I've been through this all. I've been through the rituals. I've done the things necessary, so I'm okay. I'm, I'm satisfied with just this is what I've done. You can't tell me that I'm, I'm not good because I've, I've done the steps. I've answered. I've, I've checked all the boxes, right? And I'm going to hide behind this religion, right? He was talking about something that needed to happen at the very root of the person, like some soul level work, right? Religion tends to keep a lot of people from ever dealing with the problem of their heart, right? And a lot of times at our heart, the, the tension, the, the issue that we feel 
is we have a really deep love of self and it tends to be a lack of love for God. And we can kind of see it like this. Um, it's, it's as if the, there's a, a man who has uh, a married, he's got an incredible wife, incredible family. Uh, he, he does all the things necessary uh, like Monday through like Thursday, right? Just bro just kills it when it comes to being a dad, to being a husband. He checks all the boxes like he's a winner. Uh, he's a supporter. Uh, the issue is uh, dude has a mistress on the side that he spends all weekend with. And it's not like he really hides it. It's kind of a, a known thing that he's got this kind of struggle going on, this this side piece per se. But yet he's – Monday through Thursday, he kills it, right? Monday through Thursday, he's doing what's required of him and he's excelling. He, he knows what it means to be a good husband. And yet here he is having this time spent away, uh, this time separated, right? Uh, Friday and Saturday, it's all about them. And you tell him, hey, the problem is not that you're not busy enough uh, on the days that you're with your wife. The problem is that you have a divided heart, right? Like that, that You are not completely sold out for your family, for your wife, but you are actually dividing your heart, right? There's another lover. There's someone else involved. There's something else involved. This is what religion tends to do for you and for me. It doesn't deal with the core issue, again, of self-love, of money love, right? It, it really tries to avoid this idea of truly loving God with your whole heart. Not just knowing about Him, but really knowing Him. Even worse, it contends to, to keep us from throwing yourself completely into God's grace. Uh, it, it's the, it's this, it can actually keep us from a lot from from really being satisfied with the hope that comes from knowing God and having that relationship with him. Right? Jesus told the story about two men and they went to the temple to pray. Uh, one was very religious, right? Sold out for it, the best of the best uh, when it comes to religious kind of things. And Jesus said, and he stood and prayed and he thinks about all the things that he has done and that God must be so pleased with him, right? Again, checks all the boxes religious wise. Uh, the other was a tax collector who, in their view, again, think of a John or or maybe even like someone who's like a, a criminal uh, who is so overwhelmed with the sense of his sinfulness that he won't come any farther than the back of the room, afraid to be struck dead, right? Simply uh, to, to pay for his sins. Yet in this story, we actually find that God is merciful to the sinner. Jesus said that the one, right? who went home justified, the sinner who showed up, they, they asked for repentance, they, they didn't try to check the boxes, they didn't try to do anything other than simply go to God and say, man, I need to be forgiven. He says that one went home justified because he hoped in God's grace and God credited it to him as Jesus' righteousness. Whereas the guy who went home uh, after showing up being so religious and so kind of sold out on himself and the things he was doing. He went home with nothing more than his own self-righteousness, uh, which is really no righteousness at all. In the same way, John will say this, do not say we have Abraham, right? Religion makes you retreat into something other than God's grace. What is that for you? Like if you were to stop and think, what is that thing that 
when you know you're confronted with God's grace, the fact that he's done enough for you, but that he will continue to do those things for you, that, that forgiveness is, is palpable, that like it's being offered for you, and that you retreat from it. What is that thing that you retreat to? What is that thing that is it, is it, I'm a good person, I'll be okay? Is it, I, I, I went to church, I show up to church, I'm involved in church? Is it your reputation? Do you fall back on maybe your leadership or your ministry experience? For some of us, do, do you fall back on your politics and, and the things that make you a good person? Are you a super good parent? You're raising amazing children. So th- those things have become enough. Those things have become enough to justify you as being okay. There's no hope in those things, though. There's no hope in those things unless it's from God's grace. John shows us there are two ways to be separated from God. There's this. One is by defying the laws of God, right? The second is in thinking you are good enough to earn the Father's approval. Never dealing with the core of your heart and failing to recognize the grace that you desperately need. I really believe like this is why John is so harsh with the Jews that he's going to interact with that we're going to continue to read here about in a moment that he doesn't kind of uh, go around the corner, right? He's not beating around the bush when it comes to saying like, Hey, this, you need this, like this idea of repentance, this idea of asking for forgiveness, like you need this. Don't think you're good enough. He's saying religious people stop trying to figure out what other religious thing you need to do to be a good Christian. Stop doing just your basic good works and just repent. Surrender yourself fully to God. Throw yourself on his grace. It is your only hope. So we'll pick up the story in Matthew 3, uh, kind of moving forward to verse 11. Uh, it says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming, this is John speaking, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, uh, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Verse 15, but Jesus answered him, let it be so. For thus it is fitting for us to be fulfilled all righteousness. Then he consented. And then when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up to the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said this, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. Verse 11, John begins to kind of show the significance of baptism. John says it's it's symbolic of something, a greater baptism that is to come. The real baptism happens not in water, but by the Holy Spirit. And that makes the place of John's baptism significant. Uh, He does it in the River Jordan or the the Jordan River. Uh, It says this, on the edge of the wilderness, right? The Jordan River was kind of like a boundary uh, between uh, Israel and Israel. In the wilderness. 
It was a place where Israel under Joshua crossed over into the prom or crossed over into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years uh, because of their sin, because of their mistakes. It represented them leaving sin for the promised land. And this is where Jesus was to be baptized. John says the real baptism is where you leave the wilderness of your sin for the promised land of faith and obedience. The only way you can do that, though, is through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why you need a Messiah who can give you the fire of the Holy Spirit, not just cleansing you with water. So when we get to verse 13, this enters Jesus. Jesus says, you know, when John recognizes him, their cousins after all, uh, he actually tries to stop him. He's like, I'm not, I am not worthy enough to baptize you. And Jesus says, nope, this is a baptism of repentance. And I, you read that and you only ask yourself, like, what did Jesus have to repent of? What was it that Jesus had to ask for forgiveness for? Uh, was there something he did? Because he was sinless and John knew that. Was any of Jesus' righteousness unfulfilled? Uh, did he need something to be kind of topped off? Was there kind of more to the story with him? Uh, he was already fully righteous, right? But there's actually a, a gospel message that is being um, kind of shared through this whole thing. Jesus at his baptism was beginning the ministry that we would call substitution. Right? Jesus didn't need to repent, but we did. Imagine if everyone in that crowd that day, and she just kind of walked towards the water, and he was passing by each individual. They were all wearing a, a name tag, and on their label it said sinner. And Jesus had the name tag, and it read righteous. Jesus walked through the crowd taking off people's name tags, and he would put them on himself. Right? No longer sinner, and he would place it upon himself. So that when he stepped into the water to, to repent of his sin, he was actually repenting not for his sin, but for ours. He carried that name tag to the cross even, where God made him and took him, right? He'd be beaten until he no longer looked like a man. His back would be laid bare by the whip. He'd have nails uh, put into his hands and feet, a crown of thorns placed, thrust upon his head, actually. It would have been uh, this hor horribly disgusting look, almost making him look unhuman. You understand, though, that Jesus was dying for every act of violence, every sexual abuse, every spousal betrayal, every lie, every act of selfishness or manipulation that we have ever committed. So we might say he, it was disgusting, the act of violence that he went through, but he had a purpose. And because that the Father declares him, this is my son whom I am well pleased and now that belongs to us. Those words can be spoken over your life. The key word in all of this for this gospel is this idea of substitution, though. Right? The gospel in four words is this, Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. Jesus did not merely die for you. He literally died instead of you. He took my name tag, right? He took this idea, this, this sin that I had in my life that, again, that maybe we said earlier that you feel like is, is too maybe minuscule for him or maybe it's too big for him, right? He took that sin with him to the cross so that you could wear a name tag that said righteous. You could wear a name tag that says 
forgiven. The principle that separates Jesus' gospel from every other religion is that. That every other religion teaches you that you must do something to please God. I've got to check enough boxes to please God. Right? Go here, say this, rub this, touch that, don't do that, pray this, chant this, right? We, there, there's some part of action or work that needs to be done for God to be pleased. This gospel in their hand says this, it is about what Jesus has done for you. Other religions, right? The prophet is a teacher who gives you a plan to earn God's favor. In Christianity, you get the story of a savior who has earned God's favor for you and gives that to you as a free gift. I'll be honest though, this idea of substitution, uh, it, it can be pretty difficult. Right, this idea of, of someone kind of stepping into my place can be hard to accept even. Right? I don't like to think of myself personally as helpless. I like, like to think of myself as, as fairly capable. Um, I might not be the best with a hammer and nails, but I can watch YouTube and get it done, right? I, I, I would like to think that as a father, like I, I can uh, be the best father possible. As a husband, I can be the best husband possible. I'm going to be able to do whatever I put my mind to, right? I'm not helpless. I'll figure it out. I'll make a way. Uh, I, I would want to think of myself maybe more as God's uh, HGTV project, right? Like I'm, I'm decent, right? There's, there's the bones are there. Um, I don't, I necessarily want to be a fixer upper, but maybe a little, little new paint. Like I, I could see that maybe. Right? I want to think of myself as basically able to carry my own weight, right? May, maybe a little bit of help, but I'm going to carry the majority of this weight. The only way to receive the gospel, though, is to admit that you are, are totally helpless. That for you and I, this, this gospel of, of, of Jesus is going to the cross, dying a death that we deserved, being buried, raising in three days, ascending to heaven. Th this idea of, of him doing that for us is the reality that we are completely helpless in the situation of saving ourselves. That his, his story, right, our, our life being played out is, is hopefully a piece of his greater story of redemption and reconciliation that's being played out. And that he loved you and I enough that he went to the cross for us. Right, Christ did not give you a way to save yourself. No rituals, no activities, nothing of that will add to your life. He did the work to save you. He gave you a gift that you can never earn on your own. When people say religious people are weak, right? People who go to church might be weak. They believe in this Jesus, right? They need a savior that makes them weak, that Jesus is a crutch. Uh, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is kind of like the stretcher and I'm okay with that. So here's something for you to consider. I mean it when I say I struggle with this because uh, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid, uh, which meant everything from like the expectation of I had amazing grace, like Memorized coming out the womb, uh, that I walked around with a big old Bible ready to thump people over the head. Uh, things like I was in the church every single day. Like, right, these are kind of like the ex unspoken expectations of the pastor's kid. Um, honestly, it was that or I was just going to be some drug addict. Like, that's kind of the, the two spaces at which I walked most of my life. Um, and what I found is to kind of uh, uh, appease those um, expectations is I just kind of had to put some masks on, right? I had, to, I had to be fine all the time, not really have any real issues. Like I got really comfortable with stuffing 
a lot of the stuff happening in my life. And I, I did that because I felt like that's what I had to do, right? I didn't want to make anyone mad. I didn't want to upset anyone. Um, God, God probably knows what's going on in my life. So I don't really got to admit to it or really deal with it. Like it'll be dealt with. And I kind of walked this hidden, uh, this hidden life of sin. Um, and, and for a lot of time, like I didn't really even make faith my own. Right? It was really easy to, to kind of accept that uh, because my dad was a pastor, because my parents were super good people, like that must have made me a super good person. And I could kind of own that as my faith. They were good. I was good, right? Um, in fact, like even this idea of being a pastor was something I really fought with for a long time um, because I didn't want to do it just because daddy was doing it, like some of those kind of things. Uh, and it wasn't until I had a, kind of this conversation with my father where straight up I'm sitting across the table from him uh, and I'm yelling at him and he's laughing and smiling, right? I'm telling him, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to do this church thing. And he's like, awesome, go be an astronaut, go do whatever. We're going to love you no matter what. And I was like, well, I feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor. He goes, okay, cool, go be a pastor. I'm like, but I don't want to do it just because you want me to do it, right? And I'm I'm in the classic like teenage angst. And I, the more he smiled and laughed, the more I'm just like, bro doesn't get it. And it was that when he said, we're going to love you no matter what. He's like, we just want you to follow Jesus. What does Jesus have for your life? And it was that moment where I would say faith became my own, right? I had to kind of step out of this, uh, what I would call this triangle relationship of faith where I'm over here and my dad's here. And because I believe in what my dad believes, then boom, I'm connected to Jesus. And instead that line became a direct contact. But I also had to step in this place that, man, this stuff I'm dealing with, the, the, these sin issues that I have on the inside that I've been stuffing, I've got to be willing to give those things to God. I've got to be willing to actually take that step and say, man, I need forgiveness for these things. I don't want to keep trying to do this on my own because I've, I've been trying to do that. Uh, and it's literally got me nowhere. It's actually just made me angry. Right. So I, I don't know where you fall in all of this. I don't know if you've, maybe you do struggle with this idea of, of gotta be the tough guy or the tough gal. Maybe, maybe you do struggle with this idea of gotta have it all together. Maybe you do struggle with this idea of feeling like you're not seen. Or that God wouldn't care. Maybe you find yourself when it comes to the idea of someone loving you enough to do something as grand and as great as God did just does not compute. It, you, you just, it just can't connect. My encouragement to you is that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't got to be strong enough. You don't got to be big enough. You don't got to be pretty enough. There is nothing that you have to do before coming to Christ. You've got to fake it. God has it. God knows it. Part of the story of Jesus' baptism is that, is that you accept that he, he's going to hold some things and God's going to take care of some things for you that you were never meant to carry, that you were never meant to figure out. And that's okay. But there's going to be some things that you're going to have to ask for forgiveness for. 
that, that you just need him to hear that and forgive you and hold you in that moment. Like th- those, this idea, this relationship and not a religion, but a relationship is just that. That you'd communicate, that you would share, that you would be real. Or that, that God died that death that we deserved. Not so that we would just give him praise, which he deserves. But so that we would have a hope. So that we would have this idea of forgiveness. So that you would experience things like peace and love. So I don't know, again, where you're at. I don't know what's what's kind of been going on in life. And and maybe you're, you're sitting here and you realize, man, I don't even know if I've ever even had this conversation. I don't even know if I've ever taken that step of, of asking for repentance or asking for forgiveness for the mistakes that I've made, for the sins in my life. I just want to pray for you for a moment. It's not this prayer that saves you. It really is the faith. It is the, it is the stepping and saying, God, I, I want you to be that savior in my life. It is your faith but it helps to kind of speak to it and speak it out loud or even just speak it to yourself um, and say, God, I, I realize that I am a sinner, that I, I, I need a savior. And I recognize that that savior is you. And so I ask for, for to repent. I, I, I ask for forgiveness of my sins, of my mistakes, of the ways that I've tried to do things on my own. And I want to receive you as the savior of my life. And God, for those who, who maybe do know you, but they've got that sin issue that they've just been kind of holding on to, that little thing that's created this tension within their soul, God, that they would just give that to you. They would trust you with that. So God, our, we love you. We're thankful for you. In our prayers, and in the end, that everything we would do would be honoring, glorifying to you in your name. Amen.